0: Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of In the Guiden of Geekdom. I'm Janice Hawkins. And I'm Deanna Chapman. And this is our show where we watch an episode of Keep Your Hands Off, Isoken, and an accompanying piece of media. To go along with it.
1: Deanna, what episode did we watch this week? This week we watched episode six, which was titled Let's Do Better Than Last Time. Yeah. I immediately felt attacked by that title. (laughs) Immediately. The attack (laughs) happened all at once this time. (laughs) Yeah. And then we watched The Wind Rises.
0: The Wind Rises. Oh, great movie. I gave you some homework for it. Uh, What aspect of animation did I ask you to pay attention to this time? All of the lovely sound effects. Yeah. Now, forgive me if I get this wrong. Deanna likes sound and sound effects?
1: Sounds okay. Depends on the sound.
0: Oh, okay. So you're not just like in general a big
1: fan of sound. You only like specific ones. Yeah. Okay. Ones that don't hurt my ears. You have
0: a a background in sound, though.
1: Wasn't my intention, but that's what happened.
0: (laughs) You just slipped on the path from music to podcasting to sound is life. Yeah. You have some of the best sound equipment I've seen of anybody out there. Granted, I only see like the mic coming in and the headphones right (laughs) now, but you've sent pics of your setup before.
1: I have four pairs of headphones at this desk. Don't ask me why.
0: Oh, okay. Dang. Oh, that was my immediate why, but all right. All right. They all have their
1: different purposes.
0: Fascinating. We should get like a picture of your like rig, your like setup and your 12 headphones so that our uh, five listeners
1: can look at it one day. There's so many. Some of them are hidden under the desk.
0: So sound is something that happened a lot in both these things. What happened in this episode of
1: isoken So they are working on, I believe it's like a 15 to 20 minute short, they said, which mm-hmm. kind of depends the purpose of them being a film club when they were supposed to be <laughs> making feature length stuff. But it's a you short know, film. Baby but you're steps. right. You're right. <laughs> they did a few minutes and presented it, and now they're working their way up to an actual short film. And then maybe eventually in the next six episodes, they'll get to a feature length thing. But they're still working with the robot club, too. So mm-hmm. it seems like these episodes are kind of finally tying together a little more, in a sense, because you have a continuing storyline. It's not like the earlier episodes where each one was kind of like its own thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, they have a goal and a predetermined outcome, as Kanamori says.
1: Yeah. And so Asakusa is directing and storyboarding the short. (laughs) Then you have Kanamori, (laughs) who discovers that someone has been taking up four rooms just to, like, catalog and archive Sound effects. Yeah, that big, big sound library. Yeah, we only get to see one of the rooms though, which was a little disappointing for me. <laughs> but I saw it and I went, oh, that's my room. Yeah. That is <laughs> what I would do if I could do that.
0: Oh, I had the dream for you, I imagine. Yeah, Kanamori kind of gets sicked
1: on them on the sound club by the student council. Yeah, and they find out it's just one person. Mm hmm. Our new friend Domeki. Yeah, Domeki has just taken up all four of these rooms. And so they come to a compromise. Not so willingly, I might add. (laughs) (laughs) But this is how Kanamori does things. And it's fantastic. And you have this beneficial solution that they come to where it's like, okay, you can keep the space, but you have to let us use the sound effects, essentially. And then you have Asakusa is just suddenly very motivated.
0: (laughs) Yeah, her, like, motivation switch goes on and she's hitting the ground
1: running. And I laughed so hard at that because they were like, oh, we just need to let her go do her thing because her motivation is just so random.
0: Yeah, you gotta just let it go when it goes.
1: I felt attacked. I
0: felt that was extremely relatable. Maybe potentially for both of us, but (laughs) extremely for me.
1: It's not that I never don't want to do audio things. It's just sometimes I want to work on fun things and not work things. Yeah, you get a new idea in your head and you want to take it where it'll go. God, getting new ideas in my head is the worst thing. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that is, yeah, I extremely relatable. One thing that I really like in this episode is that after they have this whole interaction with the sound club, the art club is also like down to help this time because their animation went so good. So... Because Asakusa is the director, she has to go take her ideas to the art department and show them the backgrounds and how they work so that they can request that artwork
1: done. Yeah, and then the one girl who just kept asking questions and was like, what? Yeah, you've got got two people in the club. You have Okamoto who's
0: like, why isn't this work this way? Why is this work this way? uh And then you've also got Nakamura who is being just like kind of annoying about it where he's like refusing to understand what she's trying to say and she's like losing you can see her lose confidence as she tries to explain her vision to somebody else uh even though like Kubo the other girl in the art club is like actually on board and getting it
1: yeah I can relate to not being able to describe things well
0: yeah and then just like that switch got turned off by the interaction like her motivation went back to zero as soon as she got faced with the slightest obstacles, and that I really related to a lot.
1: Amazing. That part didn't attack me, thankfully.
0: That part attacked me specifically.
1: If it's not me, it's you getting attacked in this, I feel like. But it's mostly me.
0: We take turns. But Kanamori gives her, like, that motivational speech that gets her back. So she just, like, knocks over and she's, like, gone for, like, (laughs) two hours or something. And then she just comes back up and she's like, okay, I have a new design, I've done it. (laughs) And, like... The switch is back on. Yeah. And they're like, just go. Just go do your thing. Yeah. Just chase your bliss, kid. Yeah. Love
1: this episode. It's one of my favorites. It's great. This whole show, Mm -hmm. fantastic so far. We're halfway through. Yeah. Not only was this episode great, but then we watched The Wind Rises, which has lots of fun sound effects. Oh, yeah.
0: The Wind Rises is so beautiful. So The Wind Rises is another Hayao Miyazaki movie. This one he wrote and directed and it was released in 2013. Um, this time, Studio Ghibli is fully formed. So when we watch Nausicaä of the Valley of the Wind, Studio Ghibli did not exist yet. Mm-hmm. And now, by the time that we're watching The Wind Rises, it is in full force. They are doing their thing. It's a historical drama that combines the like kind of life story of two different people and merges them into one. Uh, one of them is the... Aeronautical engineer Jiro Hirokoshi, who invented the zero fighter planes that really made Japan a military presence back in the day, and uh, Miyazaki had made a manga about him that was just little, like, vignettes Mm -hmm. that he had released, and it gets spliced together with elements from a book called The Wind Has Risen by an author named Tatsuo Hori, and Tatsuo Hori wrote this book based on the love and loss of his fiance, Ayako Yano, who died of tuberculosis. Okay. It was supposed to be the final film directed by Miyazaki. When it came out in 2013, he was like, I'm retiring. This is my retiring announcement. But he had threatened to retire like six times before, so no one took him super seriously. This time it stuck for a while, a good solid nine years, but... Miyazaki is back, and next year we're going to have a new movie by him called How Do You Live. He couldn't stay totally away, which I'm not complaining about. Mm -hmm. The movie was produced by Toshio Suzuki, uh, who's been producing things for Studio Ghibli since Kiki's Delivery Service. He's actually the one who made him do the story of Jiro Hirokoshi. Okay. Miyazaki wanted to do a Ponyo sequel? (laughs) As his last thing, and Suzuki was like, no, you have this manga, it's really good. And uh, Miyazaki was like, I don't want to do it. it. This this topic isn't really for children. And Suzuki was like, have you considered that children can be exposed to things that are, like, about war and stuff? And it won't be bad, necessarily? So, yeah, eventually he did it. <laughs> and Suzuki had started as an animator on... The Loop in the Third TV series, <laughs> because everything is Lupin. And his first production credit was for Angel's Egg, which was by the director of Thing We Watched Last Week, Pat Labor, Mamoru Oshii. So all these guys know each other.
1: Yeah, it seems like it. And Janice, I just want to note that we're not talking about Miyazaki's movie that won an Academy Award. Mm-mm. But this was nominated.
0: It was nominated.
1: And I was like, why did this not win? And then I saw it was the same year as Frozen. And I was like, oh. Ugh,
0: and Frozen's not even as good. Like, I'm sorry if you like Frozen better, everyone, but ugh.
1: Because, like, the others that were nominated that year, I was like, no, I don't think anyone would have let Despicable Me Too win. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, Spirited Away did win in 2002, at least. So Miyazaki at least has that.
0: He at least has that. And maybe How Do You Live Will Do Better. I don't know. I liked Frozen, but I don't think it needed a lot of awards. But I need to just let it go.
1: <laughs> I've never seen it.
0: Oh, it's, it's, it's cute. It's cute. It's cute. It's cute.
1: I'm sure it's fine. <laughs>
0: it's fine. They can't see me shrugging and gesturing, but it's a lot of, eh, whatever, gestures. It's fine. Anyway, carry on. For the music, they were able to get Joe Hiseshi back, so that's great. They're still friends. Um, it has the same film editor, Takeshi Sayama, as Akira and Paprika, so we're bringing, we're bringing him back. Uh, I think I had mentioned when we talked about Nausicaä um, that one of the key animators was Hideaki Anno. And he came back for this. Now he's an established person. He's not just an animator. He's a director. But he came back actually to voice Jiro in this. Um, And you didn't watch the English dub this time.
1: No. I finally figured out what HBO Max was doing. And it just started defaulting everything to Japanese. Oh, yeah. Because I... Didn't even know that there was an English dub for some of these things. I just went, Mm -hmm. oh, okay, this one started playing in Japanese. I guess maybe there isn't an English dub. And then some of them played in English. And I was like, okay, I guess that's how I'll watch this. (laughs) And so I've just been (laughs) watching whatever plays when I hit play. But I did kind of have a problem with this one because for the Japanese version, it wasn't your regular captions with like the white font and like the shaded black background. It was just yellow with no background. So it kept blending into the images a lot. I wasn't sitting on the couch the entire time while I was watching this movie. So I had moved and then I was like, I can barely (laughs) read this (laughs) from where I was. And it was hard. So I think I missed a couple lines here and there because I literally just could not read them on the screen. Could not read the yellow. That's rough. Yeah.
0: And Normally, I don't have a strong dubs versus subs preference, but usually you tell me something interesting about the English voice actors. Like, this time, instead of Anno, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt was Jiro in the American version. Oh, but, man, maybe um, I should have watched that one. <laughs> I told you you had a chance. I told you how to change it. But I, I agree. I had the same... I did change it briefly, and I went, meh. Nah. <laughs> I had the same problem, because all these other Studio Ghibli movies on HBO Max have the white text subtitles with a little like yeah black border but yeah i had the same problem i could not get different subtitles for this so it was like times new roman yellow <laughs> it was so bad yeah it, it would have ideal. been okay if
1: it had like the black rectangles around the back of it but
0: yeah anything to make it legible on a very colorful beautiful background
1: yeah it was rough
0: but We powered through. We persevered, you know? The wind was rising, but we had to try to live. So much wind in this. (laughs) The wind is so
1: good. The wind is its own character. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The number of times that Jero lost his hat, I was like, sir, (laughs) hold on to it. Stop wearing hats like that, sir. Or that. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Um, It's such an important part of the life of a young aeronautical engineer. Apparently, I... I don't know. So jumping
1: into the plot of this.
0: Yes, what was this
1: about, Janice?
0: This was about a lot of things. It was about those two guys being mishmashed into one person. Um, I joked that this is a splice of life, uh, because <laughs> slice of life is a genre, and he took it for two different people and put them together. But like I said, Miyazaki didn't want to do this for a while, because he had, like, reservations about making a movie about a guy who basically made planes that killed a lot of people. And then he ended up reading a quote from Jiro, the real person, where he said, all I wanted to do was make something beautiful. Mm -hmm. And that kind of gave him the like, foothold for how he was going to attack this.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's tough because when you're working on a lot of things that you work on as like a aeronautical engineer or whatever like I I know people who majored in aerospace engineering it's like okay not everything is necessarily going to be great <laughs> but yeah. you know I have friends who were like majoring in chemical engineering and ended up working that's on me. like submarines Oh, that's not or me. something <laughs> uh-huh. yeah that's not you Janice <laughs> and you still have to have someone make these things well yeah <laughs> it's tough because it's like they needed to make the advancements in general for planes. Mm-hmm. It just so happens that these ones were the warplanes. Yeah. Like, fighter jets are impressive if you see them in person. Like, just from an engineering perspective. Yeah, they're amazing to watch. The fact that those things go as fast as they do and can do what they do. It's yeah, wild.
0: I had a family friend who was one of those blue angels for a while. And just watching those planes do their little flight shows is amazing. I say that, like, so trivializing. I don't mean that to be trivializing because it's a great feat of, like, pilot talent and engineering,
1: but... Yeah, but in that instance, they're not being used for war <laughs> either.
0: Yeah, they're being used more in a way that I think that... They're being used for entertainment. Miyazaki could get behind, exactly.
1: Yeah. So I think his dream wasn't to make warplanes. No, it wasn't. He just wanted to make planes. Yeah,
0: and he he has these like reoccurring dreams over and over throughout his life. Giro dreams of planes, uh, but he has these dreams over and over where this guy Caproni and like an Italian aeronautical engineer yeah kind of was coaching him with that same idea like caproni is a real person and he never wanted to make bombers and fighter planes either he was a designer for world war one planes he wanted to make big passenger planes he wanted to fly huge groups of people across the world and instead he
1: got his designs used for these like terrible things of destruction, too. Well, and back then, too, it feels like you had even less of a choice. Mm-hmm. It was just like, if you were an engineer working on planes, the government would be like, you're doing this.
0: Yes. Especially in these countries, specifically. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. They did not have a whole lot of room to choose. And in that time frame. Mm -hmm. And in that time frame. One of the things I love about this movie, like it starts in the 1920s and obviously it goes up into like the World War II times. The historical accuracy. They spent so much time just drawing all these buildings and all of these people in like the proper era appropriate clothing and the mm-hmm. proper like designs and it's so beautiful to see cuz i don't know that much about like the history of japan in those times and seeing something like this you really get it
1: yeah and because you have people from all sort of different walks of life in this too mm-hmm. you can tell that they put a lot of attention into how all of those people would have looked at the time yeah especially at the beginning when there's so many people on that train and then they're all yes. getting off and it's great.
0: The The scene where, yeah, they're on the train and then the 1923 Great Kanto earthquake hits and everyone is just trying to evacuate. Yeah, the amount of, like, detail that went into every single frame where each person has their own style and clothes and is carrying themselves a certain way and they're all, like, 50, 100 of them in the same scene or -hmm. the same shot just
1: even just the buildings shaking yeah in the earthquake too for animation Mm -hmm. fantastic yeah that whole earthquake scene is amazing and you can tell that the time like between nausicaa and this has made a big difference yeah and they've got
0: it really down and he's still he's still such a like hard ass about 2d animation and wanting most of it drawn mm-hmm. and so like he allegedly like miyazaki signed off on every single drawing <laughs> that went into it all like thousands and thousands and thousands of them like he wanted to make sure that everyone he got approved because that was big and important to him so we when you think about like Isoken, and they have to make like a hundred thousand <laughs> drawings just yeah. for their 15 minute thing Imagining this two-hour movie stresses me out.
1: I would hope he has a team of more than two people drawing stuff, though. He definitely,
0: yeah, has a lot more.
1: Uh, Ghibli has that. lots and lots of artists. And then uh,
0: Anno's studio even helped with a lot of the animation, too. So they had a lot going behind it. But
1: oof. Yeah, it's funny because it feels like these movies have a bit more of like a lasting impact. And that's not to say that... Other movies don't, but, like, these movies don't necessarily have to make, like, Marvel money mm-hmm. at the theaters in order to have that same kind of impact, almost.
0: Yeah, I can see it. I don't even think Marvel movies need the money that they have to make the impact they want, and they just do a weird flex.
1: <laughs> no, but, you know, like, a Miyazaki movie isn't making a billion dollars at the box office, is what I mean.
0: I think this one might have... Maybe not. This one made a lot of money. It made, like,
1: $136 million.
0: Oh, is that not the same as a billion? I have a bad understanding of money.
1: (laughs) I think it was 136, which is probably a lot for an animated film in general.
0: Yeah. It's not nothing.
1: (laughs) It's not nothing, no. I'll take 136 million. Yeah.
0: And with a budget of 30 million, so that's 100 million profit right there, right? Yeah. It's wild. I have no concept of money, though, so I don't know if that's a lot for making a movie or not. I think it costs 10 million to make Home Alone. I don't know. That's where I set the bar. So mixed with this journey of Jiro and his cool, nice friend Hanjo, um, learning how to become plane designers and working for Mitsubishi, doing all these design iterations on planes. We also get it cut in with like this love story,
1: yeah, that takes place. You say sadly. It was fine, but I was like, okay, I want him to make more planes every time. They, like, cut away from that.
0: Oh, no, you wanted the the love story to be fringed?
1: It was just like, I don't know. I I didn't mind, like, the time at the hotel Mm -hmm. when they met. But then he was just like, I'm going to marry her three days later. It, like, months had passed or something, the, it felt like three days in the movie because he was at a hotel.
0: It was definitely more than three days. It was probably not super, super long. But then he was, quote unquote, in love with her when he met her the first time, right? Like I guess, but she was a child, so that's kind of weird. When they met at the earthquake. He was also kind of a child. I don't know. Japan is weird in general. He would have been <laughs> in college like 18, and she was probably like 14, When they met, because remember, boys get like taller when they're older fast. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe (laughs) I get the age wrong. But like, yeah, I don't love it, but it is culturally normal.
1: It's just weird.
0: (laughs) It is weird. As Americans, we are uncomfortable with it. And I think that that is the correct opinion. But (laughs) that's because it's weird. Um, (laughs) It happens a lot in Japanese media and other media over there like did you ever see parasite yeah in parasite he's like a college pretending to be a college student and he's like hitting on this high school girl who's like or like maybe she's middle school she's definitely a lot younger than him yeah yeah that's like a thing that i hope changes
1: (laughs) i'll take your word for it i was just like they barely know each other yeah
0: But she she prayed to the wind to bring him to the resort, to the hotel, and it it happened, so they're destined. And he caught the umbrella. He caught the umbrella. Um,
1: (laughs) yeah. Is that like the equivalent of catching a bouquet? I don't (laughs) don't know.
0: I don't know. It was a return (laughs) favor for (laughs) catching the hat last time. I guess so. I like the love story with the age thing when they're younger aside, because... I don't know, I'm a sucker for a love story, but also this is where we get the other character. So Miyazaki, I don't know, it's weird when you look up the actual Jiro guy, when you look him up, and you look at his history. His Wikipedia page does not have any information about him being married, but it says that when he died, he was survived by four children. So, like, he definitely did get actually married to somebody and have kids at some point, but I don't know any of those details. But... Miyazaki wanted to make something a little bit more, like, moving. And so that's where he pulls the book, uh, The Wind Has Risen, into this and splices it in. So, mm-hmm. like, this plot is split into the Tatsu Ohori story, basically, whenever we're having these, like, love scenes. Okay. And so we get a completely different guy and a completely different romance, but it happens alongside. Okay, that's fun. Yeah, because he didn't want to write his own love story because he didn't think that that would feel genuine if it wasn't based on real people. Okay. So he's like, since I don't know anything about Jiro's real life romance, I'm just going to make it Hori's real life romance.
1: Okay, so of
0: course she's sick. She's sick, she's got the TV. Common for the time. Very unfortunately common for the time. And they're like... Hanging out together, smooching on each other. And I'm just like,
1: oh, please don't also get TB. Yeah. And they're just staying at the Kurakawa's place. And I was like, this this seems very unwise. It's okay. His sister is a doctor. (laughs) That doesn't change anything. By the end of it, by the very end of it, she's an intern, like, the first time she visits. That's true. Yeah. Which is not what they call those here. But
0: yeah, it's like a resident. Resident, yeah. I was like, what is that word? They get married, it's cute. There's, like, also at the hotel this, like, plot line that I think is interesting but not, like, a huge deal. I think it's just reinforcing, like, the war is bad sentiment that Miyazaki has and, like, reinforcing, like, that Japan is not doing great stuff in World War II and all other previous times before World War II because Japan did a lot of bad stuff. But you meet this guy, Kastorp, who's like a German expat hanging out at this hotel in Japan. Mm -hmm. And he's named after a character in a book that him and Jiro like recite to each other at the beginning of their conversation. If you look up a picture, and I'm going to
1: send you a picture. I have a question in the meantime, because I think he's the one who says something about things always get better here or something at the hotel. Yeah, you can forget things. Things always get better. And she doesn't. So I was like, is this guy just lying or is he just talking about the two of them falling in love and that's how things got better?
0: (laughs) I think he's talking about the two of them falling in love. I think that also just that's that like pre-war disaster naivete coming for both of them, the calm before the storm. If they had stayed out in the world somewhere in the mountains where she could breathe the free air. Maybe she wouldn't have gotten sick so fast. Or if he hadn't continued working on these planes, maybe they wouldn't have gotten as Japan as involved in the war effort, you know? And so, like, while they were away from all of that, together, things did get better. But then they do have to return back into the
1: real world. Okay, so this is a studio guy?
0: Yes, yeah, so I have sent Deanna a picture of a guy who voices Cat's Orb named Steve Alpert. He used to work for Studio Ghibli, and he was the overseas business director. They designed this man to look just like him. (laughs) Um, sure did. Which is kind
1: of unflattering, but you do what you can. I mean, if you consider the change in the time period, I see it. Yeah.
0: It reminds me of, like, a character artist where they take all the, like, features that you try and minimize to society, and they blow them up. Emphasize them, yeah. Yeah, because, like, Steve Alpert has, like, a pretty normal face, and hairline for the most part but then this character maybe exaggerates a little bit of
1: all that i kind of want to read that book now janice what did you do which book the one in the picture
0: oh i didn't even (laughs) realize that that was a book i did not read any of the words on this image You remember when we were talking about the books, the comic book Seconds, and you were like, how could this person, like, stare at this thing every day and not, like, actually pay attention to what it says? And I was like, "Uh, pretty easily, Deanna. I have looked at this image, like, seven times in the last 12 hours, and I've never read the words on it. Good job, Janice. I did it. Um... (laughs) Remember when we watched Nausicaa, um, When I talked about tropes and I brought up cool plane. Uh huh. This time I tried to keep count of how many different unique cool planes there were. Ooh, how
1: many did you come up with?
0: So at first I was gonna count how many cool planes there were total, and in the first three minutes immediately gave up hope for that and just tried to, just tried to do the unique ones. Uh, I got 27 ish different kinds of cool planes in this movie. That seems about right.
1: Whenever he was seeing Caproni, it was like a new version of the plane. It's like at first he saw this very specific plane, and then there was another bigger one, and then there was the one with all the passengers actually in it. Mm -hmm. So it just kept changing every time he would see him. (laughs) And then you have all of the metal planes that are like in the hangars
0: yeah when they go to Germany and they see all the stuff that Junker is working on those are cool planes
1: they are it's a shame that they had to be evil yeah I tried to not think about that while I was watching this Mm -hmm. because this kind of felt like it wasn't necessarily about the war or the planes really it was about Jiro chasing his dream and then realizing that it wasn't just about the dream but it was also about the people he met along the way
0: yeah A classic kind of vibe. I think also, um, you hit the nail on the head there because, yeah, it's technically a war movie, but it's not at all a war movie. Right. I think that that really stresses Miyazaki's pacifism. It's a
1: wartime movie.
0: Yeah, because that's not what Jiro was there for. And that's not, this movie isn't pro-war, so they're not going to show any of the actual battles and stuff.
1: Look, Jiro is just really focused on those rivets.
0: He's just so focused
1: on those cool rivets that are flat now. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But also, I think that, like, it is about the people you meet along the way, but it's also about kind of, like, he loses so much because of that passion. Like, he has so many signs and so many warnings of people being like, are you sure you want to do this, knowing what the repercussions will be? And then he just kind of, like, pushes those aside and is like, uh, I can't deal with that. I'm going to just do a cool plane. Or, like, he's got, like, this dying wife and he's like, uh... I'm going to hold your hand while I work on this cool plane.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so it's like, uh, you've got this passion, but at like what cost, you? I mean, a lot of people are like that. When you think about the people who have created amazing things or built companies, like Steve Jobs was not great to his family. No. Fantastic, brilliant mind otherwise. Yeah. It's always men too,
0: huh? I can't think of like... Many stories of women who fringed everything so that they could do great things.
1: It's a much shorter list, at least.
0: (laughs) Yeah. One part that obviously neither you or I recognized, because I don't think you can and I can't read Japanese. No. (laughs) Is that there's a scene where an airplane part is delivered, wrapped up in newspaper, to Uh the Mitsubishi offices. And everyone's excited that it came in. And Jiro opens the box. And if you read the newspaper, it is detailing, like, the 1932 Shanghai incident where Japan did a bunch of, like, bad war stuff to China. Mm. Um, But he just, like, rips it off and throws it to the side and is like, look at this cool plane part. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that that kind of thing comes up over and over again where you can see him. like, Like, he'll just, like, zone out and people are like, Jiro. (laughs) Jiro, <laughs> come back to us. I understand that. <laughs> <laughs> That's a plot with a lot of the themes tied into it. Sure is. In lieu of a bit this week to celebrate the life and times of Miyazaki's retirement and unretirement, I thought I would tell you just a little bit. You and the audience are five people. A little bit more about him as a person and why I think that this movie is maybe not as fictional biography about other people as it is a parallel autobiography for him.
1: Yeah, before you dive into that, I just want to say I feel like this movie is also one I hear about less than a lot of Miyazaki's others. I don't know if it's because it's the most recent, but like I was telling you either on the Spirited Away episode or a different episode of this spin-off podcast, there's certain things that you just recognize regardless of whether or not you have watch them, like, Mm -hmm. what is it, My Neighbor Totoro?
0: Yeah, Totoro.
1: I could recognize that character, even though I have not seen the movie.
0: Yeah, with Spirited Away, you've seen Chihiro and No Face on the Train, whether or not you've seen that movie.
1: Right. And I think there's a few others that are kind of the same way, but this one, I had no idea what this one was about going into it, which we've kind of kept it that way on purpose for this podcast. (laughs) I'm not reading anything about any of these before watching them.
0: It's a really good point. And when you think of... When I think of movies that Studio Ghibli or like Miyazaki specifically has done that you don't really hear about, I think they're all the ones that aren't like fantastical and especially the ones that aren't focusing on a girl. (laughs) And so like...
1: Yeah, like, Kiki's is recognizable, too.
0: Yeah, Kiki's. It's a girl, and she's got. she's a witch. It's like a fantasy world. Ponyo. Yeah. There's a girl, and she's, like, this little mer thingy. Spirited away. There's a girl, and she's spirited away into this world. But, like, his first movie that I talk about all the time, but no one else talks about, is The Castle of Cagliostro. And it's about an adult man who is a thief. And, like, kind of a fun world but still very much the real world mm-hmm. um this one is completely the real world about a guy um th- but there's a couple others like from up on poppy hill or um whisper of the heart are all both very realistic movies too not really about anything magical taking place and like have you heard of either of those no yeah so i think that that is a testament to like people really love his fantasy And I don't know if they like as much his realism. Okay. But... That makes sense, though. Yeah. And then this one's, like, also got the, like, war stuff that... Do you know what Porco Rosso... Have you ever heard of Porco Rosso? Or seen it? Have you ever seen a pig fly a plane?
1: No, but I'm looking at Miyazaki's filmography on Letterboxd right now. and I looked (laughs) at that one and I was like, okay.
0: It's... It's an interesting one. I think that it would be fun if you, like, get bored and want to watch it. I really recommend watching it after having seen The Wind Rises because there's, like, things they have in common and things that they're totally different. Miyazaki likes to draw people he thinks that are selfish as pigs. Okay. And so Porco Russo is this selfish pig fighter pilot guy from World War One who's gotten, like, turned into a pig. But his manga that he did about Jiro Horikoshi, he draws Jiro as a pig in it. Because I think he, at the time at least, was feeling a lot more like Jiro was a selfish, not as open-hearted or smart but dumb kind of guy.
1: Yeah, but anyway, sorry to sidetrack us. Carry on.
0: No, no, that's good. I love a sidetrack. History of Miyazaki, just a little bit to, like, I think that this movie is kind of autobiographical for him. Okay. His dad, Katsuji Miyazaki, was the director of a company called Miyazaki Airplane, and they made the rudders for the Zero Fighter Planes during World War II. So Miyazaki's like, child livelihood, his family livelihood was founded on this plane, specifically, that Jiro ended up making. When he was four, his family lived in a city that was part of the US's strategic bombing of Japan during World War II. So he and his family got displaced due to, like, constant bombing. So he doesn't really like war. Yeah. Can't imagine why. Um, At one point, his mom had spinal tuberculosis.
1: That sounds unpleasant.
0: But she was able to make a recovery. Yeah, it doesn't sound good at all. Real life Miyazaki, his wife was an animator, too, when they met. And they fell in love and got married. And he originally offered that they would do this, like, trade-off where they would take turns putting their careers on hold to raise the children. So, like... You get this year, I'll get the next year, or, like, whatever, that kind of thing. (laughs) not sure how it worked. But he didn't keep that promise. Shocking. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of her um, versus him, but, like, he's now this, like, uber famous director, and she never got to go back into animation, at least not ever in the same way. That's rude. It is super rude. Obviously he was so focused on animation and doing his thing, and he, like, figured that he was rubbish at child-rearing. So he never really interacted with his kids in good ways, and he not really with his wife either. Um, His son, Goro, is a director. I think he made a movie for Studio Ghibli, or two, or three, maybe. Um, But Goro does not have positive things to say about Miyazaki, kind of like Miyazaki doesn't have positive things to say about his dad. It
1: seems like, I could be wrong here, because I don't know these people. Mm-hmm. But it seems like he was like, well, I guess I gotta do the whole get married and have a family thing, even though I don't want to.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It sounds like it could totally be that, or like he thought it would be one way, and then he just like got so into doing his own animation and creating his own beautiful thing that he kind of sidelined and radiostatic everything else around him.
1: Also a problem with a lot of creative people in general.
0: I think Jiro's wife has a lot of similarities to Miyazaki's wife. She, like, gives up being in the sanatorium where she could hypothetically get a little bit better just so that she could be by his side while he's doing his creations. Mm -hmm. Makes me think about that. Other things about Miyazaki. When he started his career, he worked a lot and ended up, like, co-directing things with this guy, Isao Takahata, who he later founded Studio Ghibli with. They, like, sometimes they're friends, sometimes they're rivals, sometimes they're, they're like, colleagues who drive each other crazy. Uh, there's a lot of respect and love, but also a lot of
1: competition between these guys. But that, that can go one of two ways. Yeah. It seems like this this went the worst way. This is yeah, it can be
0: interesting. I think that the character Hanjo in this movie, Jiro's friend who like went to college with him and also works at Mitsubishi with him, and they design lead their own plane designing projects. I think that Hanjo is Jiro's Takahata to be honest. So much to the point that Studio Ghibli decided that they were going to r- release The Wind Rises by Miyazaki and The Tale of Princess Kaguya by Takahata at the same time. So they had like the studio split in half as they were like both pursuing these two different ways uh, which reminds me of like Jiro and Honjo working on their two different planes at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and since you like behind the scenes and history stuff I would really recommend watching this movie called The Kingdom of Dreams and Madness. Okay. The Kingdom of Dreams being, at the end of The Wonder Eyes is the place where uh, Jira's talking to Caproni. <laughs> but, uh, so I assume the Madness comes from Princess Kaguya. I haven't seen Princess Kaguya yet, unfortunately. But this is a documentary that follows the studio while they're making these things simultaneously. And it's charming to see. And also, they've got some great takes. And it's, I don't know, it's really good.
1: Okay. I put it in my watch list. Excellent. There's cats in it too, which is good for me. That doesn't do much for you. (laughs) It doesn't really do much for me, but that's okay because I'm sure there will be other things for me to enjoy, just like I enjoyed so many sound effects in this movie, Janice. Yeah. So let's get, yeah, to the... What do these things
0: have in common? What are these sound effects?
1: I just wanted to talk about a very specific sound effect. Please. That happened when he was getting back to the hotel and he... He was like out on his balcony and there were some people off in the distance and you hear like a tennis ball hitting a tennis racket. Mm -hmm. And it was just like so clear. You're such a nerd. Yeah? Yeah, it
0: was. I
1: am a nerd. (laughs) 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 I like that a lot. I like that that's the sound effect he picked. Well, it was kind of that whole sequence because he was like out on the balcony, heard that sound and then he went back in and then the door slammed shut because of the wind. Oh yeah, there's a lot of wind in this too. That whole sequence, it was just so good with the sound effects. (laughs) Have you ever seen an animatic before? No. Okay,
0: so I have a question for you and then we can talk more detail about it. But in Keep Your Hands Off, Azoken, I was wondering like, your opinions on when and how they use vocal sound effects versus when they use, like, realistic, like, Foley-type sound effects. Have you ever – have you been paying attention to that? A little bit. Okay. But I love all the sound effects,
1: so I just enjoy <laughs> them all, and I don't think about them too much. You just take them all in.
0: Anytime that uh, they go on their little imagination adventures or they're, like, storyboarding or working on their ideas – Because it's, like, their imagination.
1: They're just making the noises with their mouths. It's great. They're just making the noises with their mouth,
0: yeah. So in this, when... Also, because in this episode is going through the storyboard, they start animating the storyboard so that it's... You get, like, really, like, choppy animation of it. Yeah. You know that sequence? So that's, like, an animatic. That's, like... Okay. Very loose, kind of storyboarded pieces of the key animation that you would start filling in but they will draw those first to record like the audio Mm -hmm. so that they can start timing things up right and then go from Mm -hmm. there so we get that sequence and she's just like so then this happens and it's like boom and then and they're like eating the
1: it's like editing a guitar (laughs) podcast where (laughs) the guests decide to make guitar noises (laughs) with their mouths yeah happens regularly in my life uh... and it's hilarious every single time (laughs) I can't stop myself from laughing at it even though I know it's going to happen because it's just a bunch of metal dudes talking about (laughs) guitar and the first time someone did I just I had to stop editing because I laughed so hard (laughs) that's awesome I love that but then later on in the show that
0: scene where they meet up with Domeki and how they really convince her to join them mm-hmm. is my favorite because Asakusa's like, here, just listen to what we're working with with this royalty-free music as I, like, do this treadmill. Yeah. And then I imagine you in the same situation <laughs> having a meltdown, how... Because she's, like, walking on the space and concrete and mud and grass and they use the same... <laughs> kind of, like, stepping sound the whole time.
1: Yeah. And Doveki's just, like this is so wrong. This is so so wrong. Those don't make the same sound at all. Mm -hmm. No, that's not allowed. But the idea of, you know, Foley sound effects is something that a lot of movies have obviously done over time. And one of the big ones was Star Wars. It was such a big thing when Star Wars came out that they were doing all of these different sound effects, you know, like not only for the other species, Mm -hmm. they would do sometimes or, you know, like the blasters and so many things. I forget what I was watching, but there was something that was like going behind the scenes of how sound effects were made. Mm -hmm. And they just had a room full of the most random things that you could like (laughs) take a stick and hit. Uh And, And I was like, this is the job. This is your job. You just make noise. That sounds like so much fun being a sound engineer
0: like a that kind of yeah sound engineer is that what a sound engineer is maybe
1: not no that's a foley artist foley artist okay foley artists i salute you you're great i think that's what they're called but don't quote me on that but a sound engineer is like someone who records things
0: yeah that makes sense, I guess. Okay. So then for the wind rises, when did you notice that they were doing vocal sound effects? Did you notice any of them?
1: Weren't they making them when they were on, like, the passenger plane? Yeah, definitely. All
0: the planes operate, especially in the dream sequences, but all the planes go like... and... Yeah. But yeah, the planes do. And then the earthquake. The earthquake sounds like you just took a sip of Coca-Cola and you're like, ah. Yeah. And that made it so much creepier (laughs) than (laughs) anything I could ever imagine. Yeah. Fun stuff. And then all all the real sound effects were good too. And Aizouken, they explain how in, like, Japanese stuff they indicate the passage of time with, like, cicadas in summer and Mm -hmm. bell crickets in fall. And I think that The Wind Rises a couple of times does do that in ways that got me excited.
1: And I was like, I just
0: learned about this.
1: (laughs) I mean, it makes sense because, like, obviously I live in a place where there are seasons now. Mm -hmm. I did not before. Yeah. (laughs) And there are certain times of year when the cicadas are so loud. And because I'm not in a city and by that I mean not like in a big city or a suburb I'm in a place where people have like donkeys so <laughs> also provide great sound effects oh I the bet. donkey <laughs> likes to talk a lot <laughs> it's very entertaining but you notice more of those things when you're kind of out in the middle of nowhere in comparison mm-hmm. to being in a big city because there's so many other things happening like there's constant cars going by and just people walking and things of that nature because it's a big city and there's a lot more people, but here, like, when it's quiet, it's
0: quiet. Yeah, which is even more unsettling than a regular quiet, too. Like, a winter. Winter gets quiet.
1: Uh, yeah, because it's it's too cold for anyone to want to do anything here.
0: The last thing that I really like of a comparison between them, and it isn't about sound effects, but the motivation switch that Jiro and Asakusa have.
1: Jiro's doesn't really ever seem to go away, though.
0: That's true. He has that phase. When he gets to the hotel, he's, like, depressed and tired of working. His plane crashed. He doesn't feel successful.
1: I think some of that has to do with the fact, too, that his boss was like, we don't get another shot. Yeah. Which isn't his fault.
0: It isn't his fault at all, but you can see that
1: there's just a period where he kind of is
0: lost.
1: Yeah. Because he's, like, faced these obstacles. And then he gets back into problem-solving mode.
0: Yeah, he starts making paper airplanes trying to communicate with Naoko. And uh, making the paper airplanes, he, like, gets that spark back. But that is... Yeah, I agree. The only time where you can really see it drop off.
1: Yeah, but at least he's at a hotel and gets a break. Yeah. Gets to meet some cool weird people, sing some German songs. Which I thought it was odd that he knew the words already.
0: It's from a movie. I don't know. Maybe it was a popular movie at the time. Okay.
1: I was just like, I would not know the words to anything other than like, Feliz Navidad (laughs) in a different (laughs) language.
0: (laughs) I know a couple songs in other languages.
1: I'm sorry. I know a few Beyonce songs in Spanish too, but.
0: (laughs) Beyonce songs in Spanish? Yeah. She did some Spanish songs. I didn't know that. Good for her. Yeah.
1: Cool. It's just Spanish versions of some of her hits.
0: Oh, okay. I'm trying to learn Despacito right now. If someone played Despacito on a piano in another country, I'd be like, yeah, okay, I got this. (laughs) Yeah. I like that comparison between the two though. Yeah, and then, you know, he has
1: time to fall in love, apparently.
0: Yeah, but Jossakusa doesn't have
1: time for that, so it's fine. Also, she's like a child. What a life-changing break he takes. Yeah, yeah.
0: (laughs) You ever just go on vacation and, like, meet a girl and then three days later propose to her and change your whole life? Wild. Do your problems ever get solved in, like, a weekend? No. Yeah, me neither. If
1: only. That would be great. It would be. Imagine just making paper airplanes and being like, all right, I'm not stuck anymore. (laughs) That would be so good. Ugh. Speaking
0: of media that contains, like, some hardships that have to be overcome that maybe last longer than a couple days, we should probably start talking about what we're going to watch next
1: time. Yeah, we're going to watch episode seven of Keep Your Hands Off Azokun. It is called I Have to Do It for Myself. Oh, no. <laughs>
0: <laughs> every time. Every time. I started including the names of the episodes just because I like your
1: reaction. <laughs> Uh that was the first time I had read that. I did read that prior to just now. And then we are going to watch the movie Wolf Children. Yeah, by uh, Mamoru Hosoda, who is maybe my favorite director
0: of animation, but I might take that back because the Aizouken director is starting to win me over. So what do I need to pay attention to, Janice? Your homework, Deanna, is to pay attention to movement. How characters move, how the environment moves, and not just like... Not, like, the wind and stuff this time, but, like, really, like, the actions of people and their bodies and, like, tumbling and stuff. Okay.
1: I can do that, I think.
0: Yeah. You probably won't regret it. In the Guiding of Geekdom is a spinoff of Welcome to Geekdom by our host, Deanna Chapman. Check out her YouTube channel for more opinions on general geekery. Our intro and outro music is by Associations. Do yourself a favor and go to associations.bandcamp.com to listen to more of their stuff. For a multimedia experience with links and images, follow us on Twitter at geek underscore